Blog Talk Radio. Welcome in here to My Debut Sports Sports Monday. A couple weeks have gone by since you last heard our lovely voices, but we're back and we have some sports news to get you up to date on. Luis Sanchez, Kyle Westcott, Eric Ayala joining us very shortly. Uh, Kyle, it's been a lot, a, a lot of great things happening. It's been an incredible year, um, it, but it's been also a, a you know a lot going on before the holidays. Happy holidays to you though, and I hope you had a great Merry Christmas and 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 everything else that goes with the holidays. I did, I did, and happy holidays to you as well, and and to all of our fans out there, whether uh, you're celebrating Christmas or or Hanukkah or or anything else uh, this week or this weekend. Um, you know, welcome to the the happiest of the holidays, and and sports has been very happy to all of us as well, uh, with just incredible things happening as as Lou mentioned uh, right before the Christmas uh, break here, and we have some exciting news coming up. Uh, in the next couple of uh, days as well in in women's sports. Absolutely. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, We got CWHL action to get to, our weekend recap, NWHL standings and updates to get to you. Uh, NCAA volleyball, they crowned a new champion. I know, Kyle, uh, we we got to talk about that one. Some hockey news and some basketball from the college scene as well. Some soccer updates and uh, maybe some WNBA and some other hockey updates as well. But let's swing it over to Kyle again for the fun fact of the week. Our fun fact of the week this week is Boston College Women's Hockey uh, Program will start the 2017 with season with a 2000, uh, sorry, the 2017 year with a 58-game home unbeaten streak. The Eagles have gone 56-0-2 since the last losing in Kelly Rink. The last game that they lost was to UNH back on October 19th, 2013. So we're going to head into 2017, and those Eagles haven't lost since 2013. That's pretty amazing. Well, I, I'm I'm a big fan of that fun fact, Kyle. And the the crazy thing about that is they'll they'll have a, a number of opponents trying to knock that streak down to start the season. Syracuse comes into town, Boston University right before that big matchup at Harvard. Uh, excuse me, at Fenway Park against Harvard, and then Merrimack. Your your Warriors come into uh, into Kelly Rink in January to to see if they can take that streak down. I I think that's probably the game to circle on your calendar. I know for a fact that the Warriors are are coming in hot, and they know that uh, that they have an opportunity to knock off the big dogs, which is always a good thing. 
Yeah, Warriors actually doing really well. One loss on the road this season for, for Merrimack. So um, we'll see what they can do when they come up to Boston, and, and that should be a good matchup. But we also welcome in EA. EA, we have around the league some, some, some headlines coming from around the leagues today. Yeah, well, we got a lot of headlines that we're going to get to, but I first want to, uh, in in um, getting ready for our end-of-the-year show, talk about two players who have been doing great things on the national level. So you have Tamara Holmes, who was named USA Baseball Sportswoman of the Year, and Diana Taurasi, USA Basketball Female Player of the Year. For USA Soccer, it was Tobin Heath, number 17, picked um, by the fans and players and uh, coaches alike uh, for USA Baseball. So uh, just a few, um, again, recaps. Uh, Tamara Holmes, Diana Taurasi, and Tobin Heath, just a few of the names that are headlining 2016, particularly for Team USA. Absolutely. And, you know, Kyle, uh, we had our end-of-the-year show last year, and I think it was probably one of our best, and we were really excited for it. Um, so tell our fans when and where they can fa- find our show uh, this upcoming week. This Thursday, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, we're going to be on from 6 to 8, and we're going to highlight all of the the best uh, sports stories, uh, best players' performances, best team performances from 2016. Uh, also, if you have any ideas of any of those top plays or top players' performances that you want to hear us talk about and discuss on the the, the year-end wrap-up again this Thursday night, message us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram and let us know uh, what you have in mind. Yeah, it's going to be a really exciting time, uh, as EA alluded to. We are excited for it. There's a lot of news coming out uh, for the end-of-the-year awards, and we're, we're going to do our part to, to have uh, our end-of-the-year show as well. But let's get right into it. We had some, some action this past, these past couple of weeks. Let's start with the Canadian Women's Hockey League. We had the Boston Blades and Kyle. You know, I think, I think the Kyle jinx is working in my favor this year. Whenever you, you downgrade something, it seems to work in, in – in the opposite. So the Boston Blades, they go up to Brampton and they get a regulation win. So it, does that does that make it a little better for you? They go up there and win four to three, Kyle, and they come back from a, a three to two deficit, or excuse me, a two to one deficit, uh, and and they win this game. So let's start with game one, Kyle. The Blades win a regulation game. Yes. No. This is great. This is great for the Blades. I'm very happy for them. Uh, they were able to get a. a as you said, regulation, a solid win here. Uh, Lauren and Nett was, was awesome. And that's, that's what they're going to have to get to, to squeak out some of these wins with this young team. Absolutely. You talked about the young team. Kayla Tatino, rookie on the team, score, started the scoring 91 seconds into the game. Uh, it's her second goal of the season. But, and then it, it became the, the newer veterans. I don't want to say rookies because they've been around uh, hockey for a while. Melissa Bazzari and Kate Leary, former Boston College grads, they get their goals to get the Blades ahead 3-2. to Erin Kickham, she gets the, goal, uh, the go-ahead goal after Jess Jones had gotten her second in the second period and tied the game at three. Um, but, but you talked about it. I think a lot of people have been talking about Lauren Dan um, but I, I understand she was great in this matchup, 37 saves. But let's talk about that youth a little bit, Kyle, because it seems like that's where this team's going. They're going with their youth movement, movement. They're going with, you know, building this team from basically the ground up. Do you see them showing glimmers of hope? Well, they have to. I mean, that's what they have, you know, and, and I hope that the, 
um, the youth, the rookies, the the newer players to the CWHL here um, can pick it up and and get going sooner rather than later. Because I think everybody wants to see the Blades relevant. Nobody wants to see them, you know, just sitting at the bottom of the standings and not having any opportunity to win any games. So the quicker that these young players kind of figure out the speed and, and what they need to do in the CWHL, the better they're going to be, the better all of the fans are going to, the happier the fans are going to be as well. And EA, I'll bring you in on this because you kind of have the similar situation going on, albeit very different with with some of the youth. Um, But with the Riveters, they're a young team, and, you know, a lot of people didn't expect them to do so well so early on. And it's been opposite for Boston. They got, you know, pummeled early on, and now they seem to be kind of finding their, you know, their footsteps on the ice. Um. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it's it's hard for me to compare the two teams, just being that I'm so NWHL focused. I think yes, perhaps on paper and what you read, storylines could be similar. But um, I think you know, it, it's just it's a long. Well, it's really not a long season actually, but it's it's not a. It, it takes a while for a team that has gone through a rebuild, whether you're talking about the blades or the riveters to, to kind of get going. So I think it's good that the blades are doing it now. I think the riveters are in a little bit of a different situation. Um, at least from my vantage point, a lot of injuries have disrupted some of the good things that we've seen going forward. And we can talk about that when we talk about the end up a little bit more, but I think um, it's, it, I think what's going to be telling is if, we can see the blades continue to build and continue to grow off the things that they're doing well, because it's still an uphill battle for them. Absolutely. And contrary to all of what EA just said, Boston went out the next day, played Brampton and lost eight to zero. So, you know, game one was great. Game two was kind of similar to the old story with Boston. Again, you worry about Lauren Dam playing so many time, uh, so many minutes just because in this matchup, uh, the Thunder score five goals in 15 minutes. Um, Dam is pulled for Jetta Ratcliffe. Ratcliffe goes in. She gives up only three goals in the remainder of the game. Uh, seven goals by eight, excuse me, eight goals by seven goal scorers for the Thunder in this matchup. Laura Stacy had the pair. Kyle, when you're thinking about Boston and in these kind of two game sets, um, we used to talk last year about well they played better in that second game, and now it seems like this year they've been more focused in the, on that first game, um, and it seemed to play dividends in game one, but in game two it just looked like they were fatigued. And that very well could be it. I mean, you have to remember with the CWHL, you have teams traveling a lot further than in the NWHL. I mean, for uh, Boston to go up to Brampton or to go to Calgary. I mean, those are, those are long trips on a bus and they're playing a game, the first game. And then, yeah, you're right. Maybe there is a fatigue factor there. And, and that second game is just too much uh, for their, for their legs or their bodies. And, and especially if you're talking about a team that is built around youth and has a younger core uh, if they're not used to that, then they're going to be affected by it even more. Absolutely. So Brampton, they hold off the blades from kind of 
gaining some ground in the CWHL standings, but a team that wanted to kind of increase their positioning were the Toronto Furies. They had big series against the Montreal Les Canadiens. This weekend, they welcomed in uh, the Calgary Inferno. It was Calgary who pulled out the two victories, a 5-1 to win on Saturday and then a 3-1 to victory on Sunday. Bailey Bram was the star of game one. She scored two goals. She had seven goals finishing up that matchup. Uh, Gabri Lovis, she scored twice as well. Sarah Davis added uh, the fifth goal for Calgary. Kyle, looking at, at the Inferno, you know, they finished the weekend with two big wins. They move up to first place in the CWHL. We saw what we always wanted to see this season was them against less Canadians. They split. What do you think about the Inferno right now? I, I like the Inferno a lot. I mean, you can obviously see that they're gelling together well. And, and we've, we've talked a lot about Toronto, and Toronto has played very well this year. But Calgary just went in there and just stomped them, in my opinion. And when you have, again, we say it every time we talk about Calgary, when you have the goaltending that they have and you have the scoring power that they have, which, which was already unbelievable last year, that's how they won the Clarkson last year, was scoring eight goals Clarkson. And now you're going to add two more goalies, two more great national goalies to what you already had. I mean, I think I think they're the team to beat now, and and they did move ahead of uh, Lace Canadians in the standings, and it's going to be interesting when when those two teams go head to head again to see if Lace Canadians have an answer for for what uh, the Inferno are going to bring. Yeah, you mentioned it, Delaney Bryan, who a lot of people forget about uh, this year because of of LaCasse and Mashmeyer. She gets 22 saves in the victory uh, on 23 shots. And then in the, in the second game, Mashmeyer, who was just with uh, Team Canada the, the night before, she comes in and makes 23 saves in the win uh, on Sunday. That was a closer game. When you look at game two Sunday, it was it was more spaced out. Bailey Bram scored midway through the first. Um, early in the second, it was it was a misplay by the Furies and Sarah Davis doubles the lead. But and then after that, it was a more competitive game. Emily Fulton makes it a one goal deficit for the Furies. Um, Kessler, she she becomes better. She gets better in net as the game progresses. It was an empty net goal by Luis Warren to to make it three to one. But is that more of an indication of the matchup we'll get later on in the year with? Toronto and, and let's say Calgary or, or Montreal. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure. I mean, it's you know there is still a lot of hockey to go left in the CWHL, and I think um, I think Toronto has played very well this year, and and they are certainly going to be in the playoffs, in my opinion. Um, you know how they match up against teams like this, like Calgary or like Lakes Canadiens. I'm not sure that they they really match up well with those teams, unfortunately. Um, I think that they've added some very good defensemen uh, to their team this year specifically. And I think that's helped them out a lot, but I I don't know that, I don't know that they really um, are capable of slowing down, like I said, the offense of Calgary or Lace Canadiens. Okay. So looking at the standings now, Calgary is ahead of Montreal by three points, uh, 24, 21 there. Then, you know, we talked about the, the bottom the last two positions with the bottom three teams, Toronto, Brampton, and Boston. Boston, after the past couple of weeks, they have five points, uh, seven behind Brampton and 12 behind Toronto. A couple of wins, you can see Boston making an, uh, uh, 
you know, maybe a comeback here for, for those final positions. But uh, before we wrap up here, Kyle, do you think that they have a chance or is, is it just, is it, you know, what we've been saying here, Calgary, Montreal, Toronto, Brampton? I think it would be a, a stretch to say that, that they're going to be able to pull all the way back. Um, you know, just looking forward, they have Lace Canadiens uh, coming to Boston uh, January 8th. Uh, they have uh, Brampton coming a couple weeks later. So I just, I'm not sure that there's room in the schedule for them uh, to, to do it. I think they would have to really get some huge upsets, like I said, against Lace Canadiens or, or against uh, the Inferno, which which I'm just not seeing them beating either of those two teams. Absolutely. So with the CWHL on break, you can catch the game starting January 7th uh, with, as Kyle mentioned, some of those matchups, less Canadians visiting uh, the Blades and the Furies also in action that weekend. So EA, you were actually at the NWHL game this past weekend between, or excuse me, you were able to cover the uh, NWHL game between the New York Riveters and the Connecticut Whale, the last game before the winter break in the NW. A lot of great storylines coming out of this one, and a lot of, a lot of sad storylines coming out of this one. Um, it was a 2-0 victory for your Riveters. Was this a big win for them going into the break? Um, absolutely. So not it was, um, you know, <laughs> the team got uh, got – set straight, I guess, is a way of putting it by, by Chad Wiseman in practice. I mean, you saw a few of the players tweeting about it. Um, and, you know, they had, a, they, they were really, um, I was going to say run ragged, but I guess they're, they were on the ice. So, um, you know, and, the, and they really had to, had to uh, work through some things in practice and I, I think it paid off. It wasn't, um, you know, the prettiest game, but what I will say is Courtney Burke Having Courtney Burke in the lineup has been proving to be a good thing for the Riveters. She's come back healthy, got to chat with her a little bit after the game, and she just said she worked really hard to come back, and I'm sure that the the team appreciates it. She gets that uh, early goal, which was the lone goal, until very late in the third period. Nicole Stock was pulled, empty net, and Madison Packer was able to corral the puck and actually would have gotten a penalty shot. Uh, she was definitely... Um, you know, um, on the breakaway, and I believe it was Nicole Costa who um, interfered, but she was able to secure the empty net goal. Both of the goals for the Riveters were assisted by Janine Weber and Mia Dench. Really good to see Mia Dench getting a few points. She really had a, a, a hot start for the Riveters, uh, leading goal scorer for a while there, but, um, you know, has, we haven't been able to see her um, collect any points so glad that she's there um doing that but as you mentioned lots of um storylines coming out of this one first and foremost Connecticut was playing with a I think it was 13 women that suited up for this game Lisa Giovanelli the general manager and assistant uh coach one of them uh with Scrupa Stack and Trevino with Team USA you had Billick out who had already announced that she will no longer be with the NWHL the week before. And Shannon Doyle was suffering from the flu. Uh, so you had a, a, lots of players out. So Lisa G and Vanelli suits up. Um, and, um, you know, that, that was something that the whale had to overcome for the Riveters. We had um, Bray Ketchum out as well as Amanda Castle, who was also with team USA. However, as you said, they get the two nil win. So Jun Shin gets not only her first win, but she gets, her first shutout. Uh, it's the second shutout for the Riveters of the season. 
and also in franchise history, it's the third time that the Connecticut Whale have been shut out this season. So that's something that they're going to want to work on. Despite outshooting New York 27-18, they were not able to get on the board. And then finally wrapping up, it turns out that that Sunday game was Molly Engstrom's last game in the NWHL. She will be departing for Sweden. She announced that um, – or excuse me, the, there was a press release announced last week to the day uh, stating that she will be playing in in Sweden and uh, Sunday was her last game. So, yes, definitely bittersweet looking at kind of in context, Molly Engstrom le- leaving the league, leaving her team short already. Billick, um, you know, they're, they're short now. Two women on the roster Lindstad and, and Giovanelli said they'll look to practice players to step up. Um, and, you know, uh, good good hockey coming from the Riveters' side. But, um, you know, I think that that it's just showing that the, the league is hurting a little. So they'll be back in action November 7th. And hopefully um, a few other things coming from the league um, will have players holding on a little bit. And that announcement coming from the league is that ticket revenue, there will be a ticket revenue bonus. So for every uh, everything past 500 tickets sold, uh, the home and away team will split 100% commission. So that is something that uh, was announced just before the holiday. And um, so I don't know, is this something that will help uh, heal some of the, the bleeding? Will we see more players continue as they find other options and um, make uh, other plans and arrangements since a lot of them did go home for the holiday? Will we see more people leave? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. But as the CWHL does, the NWHL returns to action January 7th. We have Buffalo at Connecticut and a, a really good matchup that I'm looking forward to, Boston at New York. Last time these two teams played, they took it to a shootout. Um, so we know that Boston is – they've got a huge lead. They're at the top of the table with 16 points. With the win over Connecticut, it's New York and CT tied at eight points. New York has that one extra game over um, over uh, Buffalo and Connecticut, I believe. And um, so Connecticut's at, at, in the basement. So could be really interesting to see not only what Buffalo and New York is, or excuse me, yeah, Buffalo and Connecticut will bring. Those two have gone back and forth tick for tack this season, but uh, Boston at New York should be a, a good rivalry and we'll see who's coming back refreshed. We'll have presumably the team USA players back. So um, I think we've got some uh, good action coming up. Yeah. And I, I want to hold up for a second there. I think you made a great point there. The, the big question now, the, the league announces they're going to uh, have ticket revenue bonuses for the players going back to December 1st. The question is, is this going to help uh, keep the players in the NWHL? We've seen it now as players are, are leaving to go back to school. Players are leaving to go play in, in Europe. Um, you know, we, we don't want to see too many more leave the NWHL because now we're going to, in my opinion, we're going to start to fall in the, the quality of play. And so my hope is that these uh, taking new ticket revenue bonuses are going to be enough to, to kind of not make up for what was lost. Cause I mean, they lost a good chunk of money, unfortunately, when the league cut the salaries in half, but at least help them out a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, and a little bit being the operative term, uh, yeah. this is not this is not a salary. Uh, no. This is a bonus, and only after 500 tickets are sold. Is it yeah. something? Absolutely. But it's still something that the players are going to have to work extremely hard for. And um, with three of the four teams moving to different locations, particularly I'm thinking of the Whale, they've only had two home games. So they're still building up a fan base. You know, I – I think it's maybe a step in the right direction. Anya Badalino and Ashley Johnston definitely see it that way in the press release. Uh, Anya spoke on a podcast and I, I spoke to her as well. She's very excited about what this has the potential to mean. And it seems as though, as though this was something that came from the players and from the league. However, not knowing fully what the financial situation is, um, of the league as far as its ability to sustain itself throughout the rest of this season and beyond. Um, I don't know that this is going to be enough for the players, nor is it really going to be enough um, without something else coming from somewhere else. Um, and then I also just want to hit on your other point, Kyle, again, with Connecticut now having to fill two roster spots from their practice player spots, New York in a similar situation. They have already, they've had an absent practice player spot since the beginning of the season, never filled it. And now they have a roster spot with um, Morgan Fritz Ward. I'm not, I'm not even only worried about, you know, payments or a quality of play. I'm worried about players getting injured. What yeah. happens when you get an injury, like you saw, Bray Ketchum got hurt. Um, who was it? Nicole Connery versus um, New York, New York versus Connecticut concussion. She's dealing with concussion like symptoms from that game late in that game. So what happens now when you have depleted your practice players, because you have players that are injured, they are suffering from the flu. They're playing with team USA. And now, you know, are you going to go 13, a 13 woman bench for the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, I hope not. And I, again, I think that the key here is there needs to be uh, ways to help support the players. And buying tickets, if you are in the area, if you're not in the area and you just want to give some money to the NWHL, go buy a ticket. And some of those, are, some of that money hopefully will make its way to the players. Um, another thing as well I can mention personally, uh, Haley Skarupa, I got your jersey this week. So I... I uh, I helped out the cause and, and remember Jersey sales, Jersey sales, also uh, a percentage of those also go directly to the players. So um, anything that any fans can do to help out would be great. But, uh, but as you said, EA, you know, there needs to be something else, other, other sponsors, other uh, bigger, bigger amounts of sponsors coming in. Uh, it needs to happen sooner rather than later for the NWHL. Yeah. It's going to be uh, real interesting to see how this all plays out. Obviously, losing a player of the caliber of uh, Molly Engstrom is, is difficult, not only for the whale, but for the league. Um, and, and, you know, EA, I, I think, you know, when we spoken with uh, with Molly earlier in the year, it seemed like this was something she was really excited about. Um, and it's not something that I guess a lot of people think it's just a money thing, but it, this wasn't just a money thing for Molly. No, not at all. I mean, um, we're going to have, we're, you know, I was able to, to speak to Molly and, and we're going to have something out about her plans and what she's looking forward to in Sweden. But I think what Molly really wanted to express is that, you know, she made a commitment even when she asked 
questions uh, going into the second season and she got answers that were maybe not, you know, okay, everything is fine, but she got the impression that her salary at least um, would be protected. And so she made a decision knowing that other things maybe weren't in place yet because one, she was told that she would still get her salary and two, because she does believe in the growth of women's hockey domestically. And that was something that was important to her. Um, The opportunity to play in Sweden has been on the table for a little while with her. However, um, you know, we're, we're at where we're at. Um, Molly Engstrom con- continues to want to be an ambassador for women's hockey, and she's just at a position where for her personally, um, given how everything has, has um, kind of landed with the NWHL, she's taking an opportunity um, to grow the game in a different way. And, um, you know, she looks forward to just being able to see where women's hockey lands and and how she can be a part of that growth. So we're excited to be able to publish, um, you know, a few of her words about what she's looking forward to in Sweden. And uh, after the new year, she will be flying over to Sweden. And I believe it's January 17th is her first game. Um, So we'll be following her and wish her all the success. Um, and for those players that are sticking out with the league, as Kyle said, lots that we can do as uh, fans to support and promote the league, including also, of course, the All-Star Game. Uh, and I think fan voting for that All-Star Game is coming to a close at the top of the year. So make sure you get your votes in. Absolutely. Looking really excited uh, for the NWHL All-Star Game in Pittsburgh. Can uh absolutely go to nwhl.zone and cast your votes for your all-star picks. Uh, More hockey news before you move on to NCAA news. Uh, Team Canada and Team USA, the last time they played was the Four Nations Cup with USA winning 5-3. This one, I mean, when you think about rivalries and what makes these two teams so great and playing competitive hockey against each other, these two games were the epitome of that. Canada came back in both games to defeat USA. Rebecca Johnson was the MVP of the tournament. Four goals, crucial goals in those matchups. Marie-Philippe Poulin also uh, crucial in these games. Were you able to watch this at all, Kyle or Erica? Um, these, I mean, for me, these were some of the best games I got to see all year. I, I was not, unfortunately. I had to catch the recaps on this, and you know, obviously, as you said, it's clear when when these two nations, when these two teams uh, play against each other, they're playing the best of the best. And I think that's only a positive for each of them. Um, and, and if we could see more of, of these players going head to head, it would be a great thing. And I was unable to catch the first game, but I caught um, I caught the last portion of the second game, which I mean... So I feel lucky that I did catch that. Um, I I was impressed with the the speed of the game. I mean, these women are just moving so fast. Uh, The skating is is just beautiful to watch. Um, And then on top of that, as you said, Canada coming back, you know, seconds left in the third period, down a goal, able to to, to tie it up. you know, and, and it was just exciting, uh, as, as an American, I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm, I don't have the same loyalties to team USA, quite honestly, in hockey as I do in other sports. And so I'm just enjoying the game. And, and, and so just as a fan of the game, 
it was exciting. I know that there are other people who are much more committed and loyal to Team USA hockey that probably had other feelings, but just as someone watching the game, I thought it was really exciting. Um, and I agree. I think we should be able to see these games more, more often than not. Um, but I believe it was the first game that was televised um, stateside at least. Um, so that's, that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. NBC uh, Sports with the broadcast of that first game. And I think uh, a network up in Canada had the broadcast of the second game. So that was really cool to see that. And, and yeah, to your point, seeing the interaction online as well of, you know, all the fans from everywhere, not just, you know, Canada and the USA, but there were people from Team Sweden chiming in on social media and, um, you know, Team Finland. And I think that's great when you see these kind of institutions, these countries and these programs trying to build and, and emulate what USA and Canada have, I think that's also great for the game as well. And I think that goes to something that um, ooh, excuse me, um, Kelly Stack wrote about in the Players' Tribune. You know, the, I believe the title of the piece was um, not just every four years or something to that effect. And when you have these high caliber games between the United States, between Canada, one, that's just exciting. You know, you want that buzz. You want that excitement around any match, a good rivalry. But when, when you're able to televise things, then it's not just other women's uh, national team players from Sweden, from Finland, from Russia watching, but it's it's the, their fans and their supporters watching as well. That's That's how, you know, again, going back to growing the game. But visibility is a huge part of that. So I think – Anyone who was able to see that series, we got um, really great games. I think we want to see now is continue to have USA Hockey, obviously because we're on we're on the state side. Have USA Hockey continue to find these broadcast deals, get that out there, um, find ways to continue to market Team USA Hockey. Um, you know, you've got the World Juniors also going on so I mean it's, it's it's an exciting time for national the national team and the hockey programs throughout the national team but you know as far as the women's game and that's what we're, we we focus on here there, there's still more that can be done because you know you're going to see good hockey you're going to see great hockey that's not the question the question is who's going to show it to us and why not let's make some money you know broadcast it make some money money for the players and you know maybe go the 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 ussf route and and find a way to link that up to um an established league in the united states and then you have that cross promotion right there who does emily falzer play for who's hillary knight playing for who does grupa play for who's castle playing for you know it's it's right there but when you know there's no one there are no eyes on the products it's it's hard to grow the game Yeah, great point. Yeah, great point indeed. And it's going to be interesting because, as you mentioned, the award, uh, World Juniors are going on right now as well, and that's the future of the game um, and seeing, you know, where those players will end up for college and in the future professional leagues, whether it's the CW or the NW, um, and on the international stage with their respective countries. So that will do it for Hockey News. Let's move over. Well, not, not yet, actually. Let's move over to the NCAA, <laughs> NCAA and continue with some more hockey. Kyle, we have some contenders and pretenders here this year. It looks like every weekend 
we might have one team that it might be in the basement of a of a conference that that will pull off an upset. We see Maine this year do it against Boston College. We've seen Bemidji State do it in the WCHA. There's so many great storylines going on in hockey right now. Wisconsin's number one, Minnesota's number two. Clarkson has made a quick jump from uh, just outside the top ten to number three. St. Lawrence one loss on the year. They're at number four, and Minnesota Duluth rounds out the top five at number five. Um, I've been able to see a couple of these teams. You were able to see Minnesota and Clarkson and Wisconsin last year at the Frozen Four. You also saw Boston College is just outside at number six. I mean, do you think this is where we're going this year? St. Lawrence, for me, is that team that I'm not too sure about. Um, But what about you? What do you think about these top teams right now? Well, I saw an article uh, yesterday about how the ECAC is now the best uh, conference in in women's college hockey and, and and I have to I have to say maybe because I can see how they've passed Hockey East I can see how when you look at the top I'll say the top five of the ECAC you have teams that are very very solid teams that have beaten opponents from other conferences and proven that they are uh, worthy of being the better conference. Um, but I mean, when you when you talk about the WCHA, how do you not say that they're still the best conference? Yeah, so maybe you know you're going to be able to beat up on a Minnesota State or you know Ohio State hasn't had a great season this year, but Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Minnesota Duluth are are if not the three best teams in the country, two of those definitely are. Um, and I think when we talk about who's going to be in the final, the, the final eight and who's going to make kind of the, the move into the frozen four, um, you have to have one team out of, out of each of them. So, you know, Robert Morris would say, would be my pick that, that I would say is probably going to come out of the CHA, um, hockey East, you're probably maybe only getting Boston college, maybe Northeastern if, uh, if they continue to have a strong end of season here. But then beyond that, I mean, you're, you've got those three WCHA teams and you've got maybe another three teams coming out of the ECAC. It, it's going to be very interesting uh, to, to see who gets that final seventh and eighth spots and, uh, and, and how they do once they get in there. Because um, I think whether you have three from each or whether you have four from, from the ECAC, um, I, I think the ECAC is a, is a conference to be reckoned with this year. Okay, I, I'll see you on the ECAC. I don't, I don't, I, I wouldn't agree with the article saying it's the best conference. I mean, because when you look at the top three teams in the ECAC and the top three teams, excuse me, teams in the WCHA, I, I don't think you yourself, Kyle, and, and me either, would say um, Quinnipiac, Clarkson, or um, oh, why am I blanking on the third team? Quinnipiac or St. Lawrence would be better than a Minnesota, a Wisconsin, or even a Minnesota Duluth. Now, it, it does get interesting with that fourth team, though, and, and after that, because yeah. like you said, we've seen St. Cloud State, you know, lose to, to uh, CHA teams and ECAC teams and, and even some lower uh, Hockey East teams. 
But when you look at the ECAC, those bottom teams, Harvard's having a down year. I, you know, I'll, the Crimson, their their storied program. But when you look at everybody else, a Colgate or Cornell, you don't really have storied programs there. Princeton had a really good year last year, and for some reason um, this year they, they kind of stumbled out the gate. But I also think that they're a great program. When you look at Hockey East, and, I, I, I you know, yeah, I'm a little homer because Boston College is in there, but when you look at what they were able to do, Boston University's win against Minnesota, I don't think a lot of people are talking about that. And I I think that's huge. Yeah, it was in overtime, but this is a high-scoring affair against the number two team in the country, and uh, you know a hockey East team which lost every almost every matchup it played against Minnesota uh, pulled off a victory. And you look at UNH right now in, in fourth place, Maine having wins against Northeastern, Boston College, and Boston University. So I think. This year, the competitiveness, not only of the top teams in each of these divisions, but those middle teams, those even those bottom dwellers, they're picking up big wins that might set their programs in a different direction going in the future. And I think that's the key there is, is yes, we're, what we're really – what the focus is is the final eight. Who's going to make the final eight uh, and be in the playoffs? But But you're right, the future is also in question here because – we're talking about teams from the ECAC have, who have started to make a move up. Now, do they stay there? Does the Colgate-Cornell, do they stay in that, that top uh, section of the ECAC? Or, or is this kind of like a strong year for them and then they fall back? Um, you know, I agree with you on, on Princeton. Princeton has a great goaltender in, in Newell. And, you know, they haven't had sort of the best season so far this year. But, I mean, they're 9-6. and six. They're, they're still in the mix if they can – have a strong end of the season, they might still be able to jump up into that, into that top three and, and possibly knock off either and keep a St. Lawrence or a Quinnipiac out of the playoffs this year. Um, you know, the WCHA, you said it, I mean, sometimes they can come East and they can lose a game that they probably shouldn't. Um, but again, and when you focus on, on just their top three, I mean, their top three are, are, <laughs> are excellent, excellent, excellent. And, and when we're talking about the end of the year, when we're talking about whether it's the frozen four or the, or the championship, I got to believe there's going to be one or two WCHA teams in that uh, final this year. Absolutely. And, you know, you're, I, I like doing this to you, but, you know, you mentioned Robert Morris. The only loss to Robert Morris this year was to your Merrimack Warriors. <laughs> I only say Robert Morris because they're leading the the CHA right now, and and unfortunately I haven't seen much out of the rest of their conference. But um, but you're right. Even my Merrimack Warriors sometimes can can pull off a great upset. <laughs> and EA, just any thoughts on college hockey before we wrap up here? Any teams that you've uh, been able to catch, you know, some storylines or, or a game of? I think you guys uh, pretty much nailed it. Um, again, I, I think it's just a matter of um, any any team can can beat any one given team. I think it's really tough, especially with the conferences being so so tight. Um, not not so many teams to to say which conference might um, outbeat another, or you know which conference might be the best conference. Um, but I guess we will uh, see who gets to um, you know have all the bragging rights. Get towards the end of the season. 
Absolutely. And a quick note here, uh, MyW Sports will be live from Frozen Fenway. That's on January 10th between Boston College and Harvard. We'll actually have the broadcast of uh, Nobles versus BBNN, a high school matchup here at three o'clock, excuse me, 2 o'clock. And then we'll also give you some live updates from the Boston Pride hosting a clinic at 5 p.m. So if you get tickets or you need to catch the broadcast, uh, go to MyW Sports for all the information and details there. Um, all right, so we finished up our hockey. Let's move over to some basketball. Uh, it, it's been an incredible year for the UConn Huskies, and without a doubt, we are all fans here of UConn. But I think the whole nation is wondering when's the next time this team is going to lose and record another record 84 game win streak in in their grasp right now. They can continue that streak. They'll have. Um, Coming out of the break, a big matchup against Maryland. Maryland undefeated on the season so far. That will be Thursday Thursday night on ESPN2. Kyle, we saw UConn play an incredible game against Notre Dame. They've continued that run, a big win against Kansas State. Um, they continue to roll. What's up with this Huskies team? Are, are they, you know, are, are they the, the perennial favorite right now? I mean, I think that they are certainly in the conversation. I think that they are a very strong team that you know still has some great pieces on this team i just i'm just waiting for the the clock to strike midnight or the the shoe to drop here because um you know i just feel like there are the other teams in in the country have all tried to beat uconn for years and in doing that they have to recruit better they have to train better they have to they have to game plan better and at some point, somebody must be able to crack the Yukon Husky code. And, you know, we look ahead to, to this Thursday night at 6 o'clock. Um, you know, Maryland comes in at 12-0. and 0. Maryland is, is a great team. Uh, they're, they're ranked fourth or third, depending on which poll you look at. And, um, you know, I think that they're a strong team that we, we followed through the, the uh, tournament last year for a while. And then uh, – you know, now they, they kind of still have a lot of the pieces from that team last year. And are they going to be that team that's going to be able to, to uh, you know, kind of figure out what the, the Huskies are and, and take them down? Um, a very, I, I would say, a small team overall. Uh, they, they start four guards uh, in one center for, for Maryland. Um, the only question I really have in this game is UConn's continue to play. They had two games last week. Uh, they beat Ohio State 82 to 64, and they beat Nebraska 84 to 41. Nebraska's no joke team. I mean, they're not, you know, upper echelon. They're not an Notre Dame. They're not, you know, in the top five. But but they're not a, a horrible team. And to beat them by by 43 is is pretty impressive. On the flip side, though, Maryland hasn't has only played one game since since uh, December 12th. So we're talking over a two-week span heading into the this game on Thursday. It's going to be over a two-week span. They've only played one game, and they play. They did beat Duquesne's uh, 77 to 57, and and again Duquesne's we saw last year a little bit had had some good offensive firepower, uh, shot a lot of threes, um, but Maryland was able to handle them by 20 points as well. So. I'm not sure if, if the rust on Maryland is going to affect them too much coming in uh, this Thursday to play UConn or if, if they're going to be ready to to play the Huskies. And I think that's my biggest question, Kyle, is 
for me, their biggest game on the season was that 78-72 win against Louisville at Louisville. And I'll throw at Louisville because I think it's a really hard place to play. Um, But besides that, and this is no disrespect to Maryland, they're 12-0. 12-0 is very impressive uh, and all that great stuff. But who else have they beaten? You know, this is – this is one of those things where you're looking at resumes and, and later on in the season, you know, comparing one seeds later on in the tournament uh, for all you bracket busters over there. It, is it is this the real deal? Is Maryland the real deal? Should we be concerned? Is it going to be a competitive game, or, or do you see UConn kind of um, running away with a double-digit victory? Well, un- unfortunately, I can't blame I can't blame scheduling on the team. I mean, I, I can blame the athletic director uh, for not scheduling a better schedule. But you know, they did play in the South Point shootout and they did beat uh, Arizona State and Washington State. Uh, like you said, they did beat a, a Louisville team who's a pretty solid team. Um, but you're right. Other than that, there there's not a lot of big name games on the schedule. But that doesn't mean that they're not a a solid team that's going to be able to stop to what they've done already this year. And I, I will thought I lost you there, back. Kyle. But you, sorry, I thought no, that's 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 my bad. But you know, uh, and, and and that's fair to say. And I, I, you know, one of the things with with Maryland that caught my attention earlier in the season was, you know, during the exhibitions they were blowing teams out by over a hundred points. You know, they were scoring about a hundred and fifty or so. Um, so I think it's it's really important to remember Maryland's a really good offense. They're a great offense, and that's what you need when you're, I think, in my opinion, competing against UConn. Their defense is going to have to step up. I think they're still a young team. I think they only have two seniors on their team and a couple of juniors, maybe one junior. So I think that their youth is going to have to kind of match UConn's youth. And I think that's why I have them as a favorite right now, is, or not a favorite, but I have them being able to compete is because that youth, that can match up uh, with UConn. And, you know, when you have two teams and, and two teams that can score, um, I think that's going to benefit both. I think that's going to benefit the Terrapins to stay in this matchup. Definitely. All right, so we wrap up our basketball. Let's move over to volleyball really quickly, Kyle. Uh, We had our special. We had our picks. We were both wrong. Uh, Stanford defeats Texas in the 2016 National Championship. Uh, Inky Ajanaku, she was phenomenal, most outstanding player of the tournament. The thing about Stanford is they started four freshmen. It was the youngest team to win a national championship. It's the seventh uh, national championship, which t- which ties Penn State for the most all-time. It was their record 20th Final Four. Kyle, how did we not see this coming? <laughs> well, I mean, how are you going to pick a team that was starting four freshmen, the youngest team in, in the history of NCAA volleyball to win the national championship? How do you how do you pick that? I mean, they they had not, uh, not just the, the most outstanding player, but the most incredible player, like the superwoman, Inky Ajanaku, was amazing in not only the semifinal but the final. And it, it, this is well-deserved for Stanford. And, and my big question is, if they can win this one this year with four freshmen on the floor, what are they going to do the next three years? Because they're, they're going to be obviously the, the favorite going into next year already. 
Absolutely. It's going to be really incredible, like you mentioned, because with four freshmen, and I understand Inky sat out all last year. She was able to kind of help coach those those sophomores this year and in the incoming class, and she she was a big role uh, in that. But as you mentioned, what she leaves behind is only a, a greater gain for Stanford in the future. So that's going to be really uh, the story to watch for, for volleyball, to see what happens there. Obviously, Texas, Minnesota, uh, Nebraska, a lot of favorites this year. But it, it's it's quite the story for a team like Stanford to win, although they've won so many, right, Cal? Yeah, well, I mean, when when you've got seven national titles, I mean, they know how to do it, obviously. I don't, you know, these freshmen might not have ahead of time, but they're going to find out, you know, next year when they come back, you know, this is what it's like to defend a national title. Absolutely. All right, let's move on quickly before we run out of time here. Kyle, what did we miss so far? And EA, I'll get to you on anything that we missed as well. But uh, Kyle, first thing on your agenda. Another huge thing coming up this week, Thursdays uh, as well, the 30th. Maybe that's Friday. Sorry about that. I'm I'm uh, I'm in the Christmas spirit still. I'm not sure of what days or what. On December 30th, anyways, uh, UFC 207 is going on, and and we're gonna see if Rousey can take back the bantamweight title. Uh, the title has changed hands in three straight matches now since Rousey lost the the uh, title 13 months ago to Holly Holm. Holm lost to uh, Misha Tate after that, and Tate lost to Nunes, and Nunez is the current champion. Rousey is going to take her on uh, on the 30th. Rousey has not participated in any pre-fight promotions, uh, some issues with kind of her anxiety and, and some issues for her personally, but uh, hopefully she'll be all set, ready to go on the 30th um, to take back that title of hers. Okay, and you mentioned December 30th. Well, December 31st ends the U.S. Women's National Team and the U.S. Soccer Federation's um, current collective bargaining agreement. As of right now, we don't have any updates. Uh, it has been reported, though, that since neither side has um, – has uh, issued a 60-day warning, either of strike or, um, you know, to uh, terminate the contract. That we can assume they will continue to negotiate. So things like the She Believes Cup are in contention. However, big news that is finally official, officially official, is that Alex Morgan, who just joined the Orlando Pride as they expanded into Florida, will now be headed to France. Viva la France. She is going to Lyon to play for the women's club there. She will continue to play for the U.S. women's national team, so presumably presumably, excuse me, that would include the She Believes Cup, which we believe is slated, we believe, haha, is slated for early March. Um, however, she will not rejoin the Orlando Pride until June. So the NWSL season usually starts early April, so she'll be missing at least two months um, with her brand new club, her brand new NWSL club. So uh, there's been lots of um, speculation as to what this means again for the U.S. women's national team and some of the negotiations as well as what this means for the NWSL. So just as a quick recap, the United States Soccer Federation oversees and really um, basically funds the NWSL. The U.S. women's national team players are contracted as national team players, and their contract for the NWSL is also organized, arranged, and signed 
off by the soccer federation. So they are twofold um, employees of the federation. Um, so that's where some of the calling into question what this means for the NWSL means. Um, in the Players' Tribune, Alex Morgan talked about facilities and some of the other things of that nature being um, some of the reasons that she decided to go to France. So, fellas, what are you thinking about this? Well, and I think this is a huge thing for, for Alex as well. I mean, she wrote in her letter to the fans, um, you know, this is just a great opportunity for her to go and, and play with some of the best in the world. Um, everybody on this team, uh, on, on the OL team, uh, all play for their national teams as well. So this is a very high level of play. Um, they won the, the Champions League. They won the France Cup. Um, they're a great team. And, and this is going to give her an opportunity to push herself beyond where she's been and, and beyond what she's been doing. And, and part of that is facilities and the, the training stuff and, and just the field itself, as you mentioned, DA. When, when those things are not of, of a high quality, a, a player cannot get better sometimes with those things uh, happening. This is an opportunity for her to have those things. Why she should have to go to France to have to do that is, is another question, but I think it's a very valid one. Absolutely, and I agree. I think, you know, when it comes to it, I understand that the game internationally or overseas is, you know, a lot better for the players, um, not just financially, but just in general. I think it's it's a more suitable and financially not, – well, not financially, not financially, but more – it gives them a better opportunity to showcase their skills overseas than it does in the NWSL. Uh, as the NWSL grows, I think that can change. But as Kyle said, I, one day we'll be able to see our players play here. But for the moment, I think this is a great move for Alex Morgan. Um, and it – it does show that it has generated great quality players from uh, Leonis. So I, I root for her. I think that this is, this is a great move. Um, I think both of you know how I feel about the Orlando Pride, so even better. <laughs> no shade. So close to the end of the new year there. Um, you will be back anyway. in June, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. We've also seen a few um, international players commit to the NWSL, including um, I am very excited to see some South African players coming over to the NWSL. So it's, uh, I believe I'm saying this right, Janine Vanderwick, who is coming to the Houston Dash. She is the captain of the South African uh, Banya Banya team. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the country of South Africa and really want to see their team do well. They just recently lost their, um, their coach Vera Paul, who went back to her home country um, to just focus on family. So they are in a rebuild. And I think having Janine, who is a, uh, a defender, she did a great job in that um, one nil loss um, that South Africa suffered. So we see the game maybe trying to expand on both sides. I honestly think that this is going to maybe Kyle, you alluded to this, but I'll flat out say it. I think this is really going to put the USSF in a position where not only with the national team, but also with the domestic league, they're going to have to up the ante. They're going to have to pay players, treat them in a way that is allowing them to also make sponsorship money, which is how are they treated? How are they promoted? How are they marketed? How are they set up and equipped to do all of that as a team and as individuals? And a lot of that comes with the state of the art training facilities. And so when you have other 
European leagues and even the Australian W League. We're seeing NWSL players play over there as well. And the Australian one team in particular who has really prioritized playing, paying players um, competitive salaries, that's really going to have to up the ante if the NWSL indeed wants to be the premier league in the world. And quite honestly, they're going to have to start from a little further back from the finish line because um, we all know European football um, has been going on for a while and so there is a fan base built into that now you can argue what that looks like for the women's side but we'll see what happens 2017 bring it (laughs) absolutely it's going to be really a a great year a couple things before we wrap up here it's Lauren Dom not Lauren Dam as a lot of people have said and me myself incorrectly so Lauren Dam um, for the Boston Blades goalkeeper or goaltender. And the Baylor Bears defeat Winthrop 140-32 to um, this past week. A lot to get to. Uh, and <clears throat> as talked about on the show, don't miss our year-end wrap-up this Thursday night from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will discuss many of the top stories from 2016. If you have any ideas for what your top play of the year was, who your top players or top performances were, message us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and let us know. We look forward to hearing from everyone. Uh, I know back and forth on on Twitter we've, we've had a couple of suggestions, so please send us your ideas. And, again, don't forget to follow us on social media at MyWSports uh, and check out MyWSports.com for the latest in news and information and athletics. And, as always, make a donation at GoFundMe.com forward slash MyWSports. For Eric Ayala, Kyle Westcott, I'm Luis Sanchez. Thank you for tuning in and join us on Thursday for our year-end show, The Best of 2016.